Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the third quarter investors conference call. Today's call is being recorded. Legal counsel requires us to advise that the discussion scheduled to take place today may contain forward-looking statements that involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties. The actual result may be materially different from any future results, performances, or achievements contemplated in the forward-looking statement. Additionally, information concerning factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from those in forward-looking statements is contained in the company's annual information form as filed with the Canadian Securities Administrators and in the company's annual report on Form 40F as filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. Today is October 28, 2020. I would like to turn the call over to Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Scott Patterson. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Tiffany. Good morning and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our third quarter conference call. Thank you for joining today. I'm pleased to be here with our CFO, Jeremy Rakusen, to walk you through the strong quarterly results we posted this morning, which exceeded our expectations in both divisions. We obviously continue to be impacted by the pandemic across every business, but the remarkable efforts of our teams in combination with the resiliency and diversification of our business model are enabling us to drive growth through this period. I will start us off and provide a high-level review of the numbers and some color around our performance, and then Jeremy will dive in with a more detailed look at our financial results. Total revenues for the quarter were up 10% over the prior year, comprising organic growth of 7% and the balance from acquisitions. Primarily tuck unders to our commercial restoration platform, including Roland, which closed at the beginning of the third quarter and contributed healthy results. EBITDA was up 15% year over year and reflects 50 basis points of margin improvement driven by higher margins at first service residential and lower corporate costs. Jeremy will provide more margin detail in his prepared comments. And finally, earnings per share were $1.19, up 29% over the prior year quarter. At first service residential, revenues were flat versus year ago. Last quarter, we reported revenues down 9% year over year, so we are very pleased with the bounce back in quarterly revenues. The sequential increase primarily reflects reopening of amenities and facilities and an increase in the property and ancillary services we provide to our communities as we move closer to our pre-pandemic staffing and service levels. Over the last 60 days, we have worked closely with our clients to successfully open up club facilities and amenities while following CDC guidelines to ensure the health and safety of our residents and associates. However, we still have many facilities in the Northeast 
California, Florida, and our Canadian markets that are only partially open or still remain closed. These facilities, which include community pools, fitness areas, spas, and restaurants represent about 20% of our amenity management revenues and offset the organic growth that we would otherwise have shown. Looking forward, we believe Q4 will closely resemble Q3 in terms of year-over-year -year performance. While we don't believe many of our open amenity facilities will shut down, it is unclear when our closed amenity facilities will reopen. Moving on to first service brands, revenues for the quarter were up 24%, with organic growth at 15% and the balance from several restoration tuck under acquisitions over the last year. Our home service brands, including California Closets, Serta Pro Painters, Floor Coverings International, Pillar to Post, and Paul Davis, generated top line revenue down slightly from the prior year. This group was off about 20% in Q2 versus year ago, so a sequential improvement in Q3 is significant. Leads and sales activity were growing through the quarter, but our ability to install and service inside the home still faces COVID-related headwinds. At this point for this group, we expect the fourth quarter to be flat to slightly down versus year ago, with a building pipeline providing some tailwinds for us as we head into Q1 of 2021. Century Fire was up low single digit versus the prior year. The service and inspection side of the business has come back strongly relative to Q2, but was still down modestly year over year, which tempered the growth in sprinkler and alarm installation. And finally, our commercial and large loss restoration platform, Global, was up significantly versus the prior year, over 70% including acquisitions, over 40% organically. Global benefited from two significant weather events, Hurricane Laura and the Iowa windstorms, which together gener generated work that accounted for about 25% of Global's revenues in the quarter. In addition, Global secured a number of large loss claims during the quarter across North America, which together with the storm work, more than offset the steep declines experienced in claims from its hospitality vertical. The success this quarter reflects well on the strategic priorities we have been executing against. These include expanding our geographic footprint, adding new national accounts, and increasing our share of existing national accounts. In particular, we benefited from the expansion of our footprint during the quarter. Our acquisitions of CATCO in Missouri, Perfection in Illinois, and Roland, primarily in the Mid-Atlantic, led to significant incremental work during the quarter. The expended, expanded footprint in storm-affected areas gave us an on-the-ground presence and ability to sell the larger capability and resources of Global 
which resulted in work that far exceeded the previous capacity of each, each tuck under. We have also made tangible progress in landing new national accounts, several of which, which contributed during the period. A number of the new accounts are in Canada, which led to strong year-over-year -year organic growth in our Canadian operations. This is particularly impressive in a market that is estimated to be down by over 20% due to moderate weather and COVID. Our backlog heading into Q4 is quite robust. Our work in Louisiana and Iowa continues, plus we have a number of large lost jobs in process. We expect a strong Q4 with revenues well above prior year and approaching those achieved in Q3. We are very pleased with our momentum in commercial restoration. The operating leadership at Global has done a fantastic job in terms of strategic execution. We have a lot of work ahead of us in this business, but our path is clear and we remain very excited about our opportunity. Before I hand off to Jeremy, I want to recognize our operating teams and frontline staff across First Service. The perseverance and positive energy that I see and hear about every day is awesome. We have a strong culture built around customer experience. It permeates every brand and motivates our teams, and it is the principal reason behind our ability to deliver 7% organic growth in a very tough pandemic environment. Jeremy, let me hand off to you. Thank you, Scott, and good morning, everyone. Our third quarter financial performance was strong and above expectations, as Scott indicated. The consolidated results included revenues at $742 million, adjusted EBITDA at $88.7 million, and adjusted EPS at $1.19, up 10%, 15%, and 29%, respectively. On a year-to-date basis, we have executed and delivered growth in similar fashion in the face of COVID-19 headwinds, a further testament to the essential services nature and enduring ability of our businesses to perform in challenging market conditions. Financial highlights for the nine months to date include revenues of $2 billion even, up from $1.73 billion in the prior year period, an increase of 15%. Adjusted EBITDA at $203.8 million, a 19% increase over the $171.3 million last year, aided by both growth on the top line and an improvement in our consolidated margin by 30 basis points, up to 10.2% and adjusted EPS of $2.44, up modestly over the $2.38 per share reported for the same period last year. Our adjustments to operating earnings and GAAP EPS in providing adjusted EBITDA and adjusted EPS respectively are disclosed in this morning's earnings release and are consistent with our approach in prior periods. I'll now walk through our segmented highlights for the third quarter. At First Service Residential, 
we generated revenues of $374.8 million in line with prior year. Scott referenced the year-over-year decline in our amenity management services from COVID-related facility, facility closures, which tempered top-line growth. Our EBITDA for the division increased 5% to $41.8 million, with our margin increasing by 60 basis points to 11.2%. The margin improvement was primarily attributable to strong growth in our higher margin transfers and disclosures revenue, driven by increased velocity of home resales in the quarter compared to prior year. Shifting over to our first service brands division, we reported revenues of $367.2 million for the third quarter, an increase of 24% versus the prior year period. Scott has already provided color on the top line drivers of growth for the quarter. EBITDA during the quarter increased to $48.7 million, up 19% over the prior year, and our margin came in at 13.3%, down compared to 13.7% in last year's Q3. Margins improved at our home improvement brands from prior expense reduction initiatives, offset by the impact of stronger top-line growth at our lower margin company-owned operations in restoration and fire protection. Our consolidated EBITDA and operating earnings also benefited from a 50% reduction in corporate costs versus the prior year quarter. Compensation expenses were lower, reflecting a focus on cost containment in the current environment, together with favorable foreign exchange. Below the operating earnings line, we achieved superior earnings per share growth of 29% in Q3. Two key drivers compared to the prior year quarter were an improved 24% tax rate and lower interest expense where we benefited from both a lower cost of debt funding and significant debt paydown. Contributing to the debt paydown was another quarter of strong cash flow. Before working capital changes, cash flow from operations was $67.5 million, up in line with the earnings increase at 28% over the prior year quarter. Operating cash flow after working capital was $42 million, a little more than double the prior year, as we continued to effectively manage our working capital during the pandemic. On the capital deployment front, we outlaid $9 million in capital expenditures during the third quarter, with $31 million now incurred year-to-date. These are both lower than prior year levels, again reflecting cost containment discipline and tracking well within the pacing of our $45 million full-year CapEx target. We also spent $65 million on acquisitions during the quarter with the Roland restoration transaction comprising the bulk of that total. Our deal pipeline is active across our service lines with the reacceleration of our tuck under acquisition program after having gained greater comfort in navigating through the pandemic environment. Our balance sheet continues to be strong in support of these initiatives. 
at quarter end, our net debt was $446 million, resulting in leverage of 1.6 times net debt to trailing 12 months EBITDA. Our liquidity and debt capacity remain strong with $575 million of total undrawn availability under our credit facility, plus cash on hand. These metrics remained largely in line with the prior second quarter, demonstrating the ability of our operations to generate free cash flow to internally fund our acquisition spend during the quarter. In closing my prepared comments, we reiterate our outlook from the second quarter earnings call, where on the back half of the year, we called for flat, consolidated top-line growth and margins consistent with prior year, absent any storm-related activity. This baseline is consistent with what we see for the remaining quarter, and then adding the impact from recent storm-related and large loss claims backlog at Global, our consolidated results should see modestly positive growth in Q4. During our next scheduled earnings call in early February, summarizing our 2020 year-end results, we will provide some high-level comments on our outlook for 2021. I would now ask the operator to open the call to questions. Thank you. To ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. To exit the queue, please press the pound key. Your first question comes from a line of George Dumay with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning, guys, and congrats on yet another strong quarter. Thank you, George. Scott, I think you might have mentioned this um, in your prepared remarks uh, on the restoration piece, but I might have missed it. Can you just tell us how much uh, GRH uh, was up year over year, and can you maybe talk to the improvement in margins in that business? Um, it was up 70%, including acquisitions, uh, 40% organically with the two weather events, the two principal weather events driving about 25% of the revenue for the quarter. That's what I um, disclosed in the, in the prepared comments. Uh, Jeremy, do you want to talk about the margin? Yeah, George, margin is pretty comparable to prior year. Okay. Okay, and you, you guys also called, uh, spoke about the large loss portfolio currently at GRH. Can you maybe give us a sense of the size of that portfolio, what's in, what's in that backlog? Well, George, I want to differentiate between uh, large loss and, and storm activity. Uh, large loss is a, uh, is a part of our business that um, we expect to be recurring uh, perhaps not every quarter, but certainly every year we expect large losses. Some of them will come from storms. Uh, some of them will come outside of storm activity, fires, uh, accidental water claims, uh, and so on. So we, we don't, uh, we're not disclosing necessarily how much large loss work we're doing. Uh, what we're trying to provide guidance around is the, um, the hurricane work, the large storm work. And and for this quarter, it was the, the Iowa windstorm and Laura in Louisiana. Okay, thanks for that. And I think, Scott, you might have alluded this, uh, to this last quarter, um, but just wondering if you expect the safety protocols um, and the amenity business to, to impact uh, utilization rates, especially, I guess, in the context of 
what we're seeing to be a, a pretty strong second wave here. It has definitely reduced capacity at uh, many of the facilities that we manage, and that in turn has reduced uh, our level of service, which is essentially the number of people we have on site associated with that facility. Um, we thought that that would, you know, perhaps when we spoke last quarter, I think we were thinking most of our amenities would be open by year end. It's clear now that that, uh, that will not be the case and we'll be dealing with this well into 2021. Okay. Okay, one last one, if I may. Um, it looks like this, you, you know, you guys mentioned the home services. There's, there's a pretty strong backlog um, that's built in that part of the business, but there's an inability to get into homes. So, so just wondering if, if you know, you look into the next quarter, is that going to kind of impact our ability to convert some of those into sales? Uh, I think it will in Q4. I think Q4 is going to look similar to, to Q3 um, in that respect. Um, there, you know, home sales are up, uh, home prices are up, home equities up, and, and generally that bodes very well for home improvement. Longer term into, Q, into 2021, uh, we think our home improvement businesses are going to increase and, and, and show some strength. Um, you know, the timing around when we're able to fully convert leads into jobs is, uh, is a little bit uncertain right now. Okay, thanks for your answers. Your next question comes from the line of Stephen Sheldon with William Blair. Your line is open. Thanks, and congrats on the results. Within uh, residential, obviously, really good stabilization there, um, and you gave some good detail. On the impact from some amenities still being closed, is that the only major drag you're seeing on organic growth in 3Q and as we look at 4Q? Uh, and, and I guess ask another way, if amenities were fully open, would you be back to the normal 3 to 5% organic range that you've normally targeted? Um, and, and will it be tough to drive organic growth without amenities uh, opening back even more broadly? If, um, if amenities were, were fully back uh, and we were through this, uh, we'd be showing our 3 to 5% organic growth. Uh, our core business in the third quarter, including most of our ancillaries, uh, was up over the prior year. And this is, you know, this is important. It represents our win-loss ratio and is reflective of where we might be, and it's in that range, Stephen. Um, there isn't anything else that is a significant, there's lots of ups and downs with our ancillaries. Uh, collections are down. Um, you know, project management is, is, is down. There are certain things that COVID continues to impact, but it's not material um, like the, uh, the amenity closures are. Okay, got it. And then on the, on the national accounts and restoration, how much of your work within the restoration business now comes through these larger national accounts? How impactful have the recent wins been? Is there a way to frame the traction there and what that could mean over the next few years? Uh, I don't know that I have a percentage. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I would say most of our work comes through our national account relationships, 
Um, these are the, the customers that we mobilize around, uh, particularly when there's an event. Uh, we've made traction definitely in the last year in adding new accounts and also in increasing the share of our existing accounts. Um, so we're, we're definitely making uh, progress. Um, you know, let, let me put it another, another way. Uh, if you take away acquisitions and you take away the uh, impact of the two events, uh, Global grew organically by over 10% for the quarter. And, and that would be largely reflective of our uh, momentum with national accounts. Got it. That's really helpful. Um, appreciate the color. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Stephen McLeod with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Stephen McLeod with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you. Sorry, I was on mute there. Morning, guys. Thanks. Uh, thanks for getting my questions. Um, I just wanted to circle back around on the brands business, and I know I know Scott, you gave some good color around um, the the uh, storm related activity and what the impact was in the quarter. Um, you know, when, when Q3 was a Q319 was an unusually weak period, you were able to give some sort of more specific revenues and EBITDA impact. Is that is that something that you're able to do for this quarter, or should we just work with the math that you gave us and, and figure it out on our own? Uh, Ask me more specifically, Stephen, what exactly do you want? Um, is there any way to quantify the dollar and EBITDA impact from, on a year-over-year -year basis from the two major storms that were so significant to organic growth? Yeah, okay. Um, that $45 million range, thereabouts? Okay, so 45 to revenues. Yes. And are you able to disclose what the EBITDA impact was? Jeremy? Yeah, again, Stephen, it's pretty comparable to how the business performed overall in the quarter. I mean, each, each event is going to uh, be different in terms of mix of types of jobs. But, you know, for this quarter, you know, uh, the types of jobs that we did at those two events resembled the, um, the margin for the, um, for the uh, business as a whole, uh, including the non-storm events. Okay. Okay, no, that's uh, that's helpful. Um, and then maybe as you look to Q4, you know, obviously there's a lot, a lot of moving parts, but on a net basis, you're you're, you're sort of seeing like a flat underlying, um, you know, flat underlying plus the plus the backlog and the storm activity. Um, are you able to quantify like what that number looks like as you roll into Q4? Well, we, as I said in my prepared comments, we do have a strong backlog. Um, we continue to work in Louisiana and Iowa. Uh, we have a number of other large lost jobs in, in process. Uh, Q4 may not get to the same level as Q3, but it will be close. It will be strong. Okay. Okay. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's helpful. Um, Turning to the residential business, um, you know, one of the things that you talked about recently was was a lot of homeless, homeowner associations weren't looking to um, sort of change uh, change operators. Have you seen any movement in terms of like market share gains on the core property management side of things, or, or are a lot of HOAs still in a holding pattern with respect to switching out their service providers? 
Yeah, no, we're starting to see it. Um, you know, our, our sales have been off. I think I've mentioned that the last couple of quarters, but we're starting to starting to see a pickup. And uh, and I think as we as we head into 2021, we'll settle back into that win loss rhythm that drives the three to five percent organic growth. Uh, that's our expectation currently. Right. Okay. Okay, that's um, that's uh, that's it for me. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Thanks, Steve. Your next question comes from a line of Matt Logan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning, Jeremy. Appreciate your comments on the uh, you know the dollar impact of the storm activity in Q3. So just to confirm, that was $45 million of revenue, and at about a 13% margin, that would be roughly $6 million of EBITDA? No. Well, well okay, first of all, 45 is uh, a ballpark number, um, but the division, um, you know, globals, globals margins are lower than the 13.3 for the division. I was talking about the margin on those two storm events resembling the margin for the rest of the business at global. It would be lower than 13. It would be more in the 10-ish range. Okay, so, so about a 10% margin and kind of a ballpark $45 million figure in, in terms of revenue. Was there any storm activity of consequence in Q1 or Q2, or would this be it for kind of the nine-month period to date? Yeah, there was nothing of uh, any significant consequence in the first half of the year. Uh, that's great. And w when we think about normal core storm activity in any other year, would it typically be in line with the average margin for global, or would there usually be a higher flow through to EBITDA in most cases? Again, back to my prior comments with the, the, the prior questions uh, with, with the earlier analysts, it does vary from job to job uh, and storm to storm, event to event. Um, we could get higher than 10% in some in some event situations. Um, you know, I would call this kind of a down the fairway type of margin that we got this quarter from from those events. Okay, so fair to say that. Is your question more focused on the margin as opposed to the? Yeah, how much top line revenue as a percent of of the uh, of the annual revenue? Your question's more driving to the margin. Yeah, like if we think about the last five years of hurricane activity, would like if we get you know say fifty million dollars of hurricane activity in a given quarter, would it typically flow through in line with the average global margin at roughly ten percent? Yeah, and or, there have or would been... there be some element of fixed costs that drives kind of a higher margin for the incremental revenue? No, in, in, in many instances, that extra volume would drive operating leverage and higher margins. In, this, in these, uh, these particular events, there was some lower margin work that kind of netted out to, you know, something in line with the overall uh, um, global business performance for the quarter. Makes sense. Uh, appreciate that. Maybe taking a step back and thinking about the business more broadly, when we look at uh, the impact of the rebranding, 
you know, the, the momentum with national accounts. How should we think about organic growth over the next three years, say, uh, as opposed to, say, the, the 10% that was delivered X weather in Q3? You know, I think the 10% is a, is a number we're very, very proud of uh, this year. Um, certainly, organic growth is, uh, is a priority for us in all our businesses. And we would expect mid-single mid digit um, at a minimum in this business. But the rebranding is, um, you know, currently targeted for early 2021. And our experience with First Service Residential really shows us how powerful this can be when you're bringing many brands under one with a unified message. And uh, so we're very excited uh, about, about that launch in 2021 uh, and think that that could be uh, an accelerator, certainly, um, you know, over the, uh, the near term after launch. And it would, would it still be fair to say that you have a view to potentially double the size of restoration over, say, a five-year period? Absolutely. And in terms of your pipeline, you know, would that deal flow be more kind of, uh, you know, near term, given some of the dislocation uh, in the marketplace, or is there, you know, sufficient, you know, capital chasing these deals that there's a lot of competition and it will be a little more legwork to get the the deals over the finish line? Uh, I think, I think all of the above. I mean, um, there is competition. Uh, but we we do we do have a pipeline and we do have uh, priority regions and areas and companies. Um, but you know, like our tuck under program's been in in place for over 20 years, and and uh, you know it takes it it does take time uh, with these relationship deals, and and uh, so. We expect it, it uh, to be a multi-year effort. And last question for me before I turn it back: You've done a number of tuck unders, you know, for Global since you acquired it. Can you give us some color on the synergies, you know, between the acquisitions? Like, would there be an ability to cross-sell or, you know, augment services in, in one component or geography? in the same way that you've done with Century Fire over the years? Yeah, a lot of it um, at this early stage has been about the, the footprint and expanding the footprint and um, taking advantage of the presence in those regions, both to uh, greater share of our national accounts and, uh, and their facilities in that, uh, in that region, but also to be there on the ground uh, when there is a weather event. And we saw that uh, this past quarter with the Iowa windstorms. Uh, we had two tuck-unders, Catco and Perfection, Midwest tuck-unders that we've completed in the last year. And these are uh, very strong regional organizations with, uh, with Midwest relationships, and um, 
they, as I said in my prepared comments, they were able to leverage those relationships into work that, um, you know, far exceeded what they were capable of previously as a standalone entity. And that's, you know, it, that, that's part of our strategy uh, to, to leverage these relationships and, and leverage their national accounts. And with Roland, we've done the same. They've, they've got uh, strength in, in the healthcare vertical and uh, with a number of uh, national organizations, and, and uh, we've been able to uh, partner with Roland and, and leverage those in the past quarter. It's great, Colin. Appreciate the commentary. That that's all for me. I'll turn the call back. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Riddick with Sedoti. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. So I just wanted to piggyback on one of the earlier questions of uh, around residential, because uh, one of the things that I thought was fairly interesting is the, the commentary, and I really appreciate the color that you gave on some of the work that was done on the ground to you know to work with the you know the the service offering openings and 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 getting as much a, a activity with those facilities as possible. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit on whether or not you're seeing any change or increase in outsourcing activity. For, for some of these these managers, uh, and uh, maybe sort of compare that to potential market share gains that may be coming from from actual uh, operational competitors, as opposed to increased outsourcing growth. Mark, we, I, we have not seen any any increase in outsourcing, um, and we really haven't seen any changes. Uh, you know, in the past quarter in the competitive environment uh, around uh, these facilities or residential property management uh, more broadly. Don't know if that and, and some of <laughs> No, no, it, it's, I was sort of curious as to whether that, that had begun because it seems as though the work that, that had been done during the quarter to to accelerate the pace of the the activity at those facilities seem to be quite positive and, and it seems as though that would be a competitive advantage that that could could lead to future uh, you know future market share gains well I mean we, we are uh, just to be clear we were helping the communities we manage reopen uh, their amenity facilities that uh, you know, had previously been closed due to COVID, uh, COVID and still, in many cases, remain partially open or closed. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's part of our responsibility as manager of those communities to provide that service. And uh, the, the amenity management piece has long been a differentiator for us. There are very few full-service management companies that provide, um, provide that ancillary service. Right, right. That makes sense. And then I wanted to sort of um, circle back on the uh, on the brand side. I, I think, and, and I, I'm not 100% certain, but it, this 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 quarter represents the first time where brands revenue was was nearly uh, nearly matched that of of the residential side. And I was wondering if 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 you had any thoughts as to going forward what the overall revenue mix of the company could be given the current uh, growth plans that you have, it seems as though over time that, that brand 
uh, revenue mix could ultimately, uh, you know, or on a longer-term basis, not just storm-related, but on a longer-term basis, approach that of the residential side and, and what that brand mix could, could uh, ultimately be for future margin gains. I think it's going to tilt, continue to tilt towards brands. There is more acquisition, tuck under acquisition activity um, in that division, and um, the organic growth <clears throat> would be uh, would be a bit stronger um, over the next few years in that division. So, uh, so that will continue. Jeremy, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something we've been saying for several years, uh, to echo uh, Scott's sentiments, Mark, um, more tuck undergrowth, particularly at restoration and, and fire protection in those newly added platforms over the last five years. And uh, as those grow faster and they bring a higher division margin, it'll uptick the consolidated uh, margins, you know, all other things being equal, the, the brand's division margin being higher than the, than the resi one. And both just maintain flat margins. If brands is growing faster, it assists the consolidated margins. Makes sense. Thank you very much. I appreciate all the commentary. Thanks, Mark. Your next question comes from the line of Frederick Bastian with Raymond James. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, just a follow-up question on the last uh, one that was asked. On the M&A front, you, you partly answered uh, my question by saying your focus would still be on um, the global, or at least the restoration and, and the century business and expanding the services there. Are you, are you starting to see um, or more interesting opportunities in other verticals uh, that you're either already in or um, verticals that you might be interested in getting into? Well, well, Frederick, we we do have activity across all of our platforms currently in the pipeline. So uh, I think you know restoration has certainly um, been front and center in the last year following the global acquisition. Uh, but we you know we expect to uh, to close deals over the next 12 months really uh, in every division. We're uh, I would say there's there's nothing in terms of new platforms that we're looking at. Um, I, you know, we have we have uh, lots of opportunity and lots of activity currently in in our current platforms. Okay, and when we look at your revenue sort of growth profile and what you've you've been sort of telegraphing the street, you're, you you look longer term to look at you know five percent organically and add another five percent through acquisitions. Um, in in the current environment, would you expect that you're able to exceed that uh, M&A growth rate of five percent on a go-forward basis? Uh, no, not necessarily. I don't think the current environment's really changed our our view. Um, okay, no, it, fair enough. Yeah, that's that's a good answer. Um, uh, also, a quick question, just. Um, for my own benefit, but did you see any, did your restoration business see any, um, see in, in the third quarter or expect to see in Q4 any activity related to the wildfires out west? Uh, some. I mean, we're servicing our national accounts in California, uh, but the level of work uh, 
was not material to the quarter. I won't. I wouldn't expect that it would be in the fourth quarter. It primarily relates to um, retail offices, distribution centers, you know, air quality and and smoke damage. So we're providing air scrubbers um, or equipment versus manpower, and and um, so it's quite different in terms of. Uh, the revenue opportunity relative to some of the other storms we're dealing with. Okay, so when when if you were to rank, you know, the the, the natural disasters in terms of opportunities it creates for restoration, uh, wildfires would kind of rank at the bottom, but whereas storms are way up there. It's uh, certainly for us at this time, we don't have um, the same presence out west that we do in some of these other areas. So that's a factor. But um, in general, I would say yes. Okay. Your question. That's helpful. Okay. Thank you, Scott. There are no further questions. Thank you at this time. Thank you, Tiffany. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, be safe, and we'll talk at your end. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the third quarter Investors Conference Call. Thank you for your participation and have a nice day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.